welcome to From the Rookery End. My name is John, uh, and uh, this week's From the Rookery End is one of those episodes where we all can't get together, so I have to phone up and record and do lots of other things uh, to chat to the guys to cover what's been going on this week uh, as a Watford fan. Uh, firstly, I'm going to chat to Colin, uh, who was at the uh, away game at Huddersfield yesterday, where we fortunately lost, or as you, as you know, 1-0, uh, with a 91st minute goal by... Tommins, uh, who is a well, just an annoying person. Uh, then uh, I speak to Mike, sort of about the fallout of, of that game uh, and where it puts us and where it sits us for the rest of this uh, season. Uh, and at the end of it, you'll hear from Andy, the head of events at Prostate Cancer, because a big walk is on the way. So, how did things go yesterday up in Uddersfield? A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Colin, the trip up to Huddersfield uh, wasn't a particularly good trip because you had some train problems. Uh, but the, the game finished 1-0 to Huddersfield. It was a last-minute, 91st-minute goal. Um, but as overall, the performance and where it sits in our season, uh, are you, how are you feeling? I'm feeling quite down, to be honest, John. And as you know, I'm normally quite positive. But um, in the long-distant past, it used to be us scoring last-minute goals for mm. equalisers and winners. But in recent times, it seems to have turned around. Well, not in recent times. For quite a long period, we have been conceding late goals. Swansea, Palace, go all the way back there. And then, you know, the last three games, uh, Burnley and, well, they weren't, le- they weren't late goals. Were they against Burnley? But they were two goals we conceded from a winning position and Bournemouth. And now, again, uh, yesterday. And this, this, uh, it doesn't seem that there's much rhyme or reason to it, to be honest with you, and, and except that I felt at the very end of the game, they were still pushing and we had slightly thought that we'd done the job. Uh, there was a couple of substitutions right towards the end. There was one he took off Hughes, I think, and brought on Sinclair. And there was a sense that the job had been done and you could see the team slightly relaxed. After working you know, hard for the 90 minutes, they had worked hard uh, in order to sort of compete with Huddersfield, who were going, you know, going like it was their cup final, literally. It was like a sort of or a cup semi-final. They were, from the get-go, they were at it. Well, they they definitely celebrated at the end as if it was they'd, they'd won promotion. You know, yeah. there, there was a lot of you know waving of hands and you know they were screaming like uh, like they'd won the an FA Cup game in you know just beating Watford in another league game. And then the yeah. way they were with the fans afterwards, it was like, look, we've done it, we've done it. It's amazing. So it was really surprising actually how important that game was to them. And I know that's one thing we never know. As Mike said uh, in the previous podcast, they would have had that, that game down as three points. They would have put a little mark next to it saying, Watford at home, that's got to be three points, lads. You know, OK, we've got some t- other tougher games where we might try and get a point or, you know, uh, we might get lucky and get a win, but that's the one we've got to win. And they've certainly played like that. And as you say, when they scored, they celebrated like that. The atmosphere in the ground was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's the best atmosphere of any home ground I've been to in the three years we've been in the Premier League. It was extraordinary. Right, so we're, The away fans are at one end, take up half the stand. The other half is what I guess you would call the singing section. And man, did they sing. That went all the way around the ground. And it wasn't because of the, the clappers, because actually most people didn't seem to have those things anymore. They've all sort of disappeared. But there was just an incredible amount of noise. And normally away fans, you know, you can outsing the home fans, but we absolutely had no chance yesterday. There was a couple of moments where they, they sort of, there was a lull in their singing. We came, we came to the fore, but uh, the atmosphere was extraordinary. And it spurred their team on. I mean, they, they were like superheroes. They were, they were running, pressing, closing down. But I would say that on the whole, we, we matched them. We, we showed uh, some spirit and some fight. But the problem we've got, uh, where do you start? The problem we've got is that our midfield 
it's good. Some of the best midfielders probably that have ever played at the club are playing currently in that midfield. But the problem is we don't convert. We didn't really create. I don't. I can't remember a single really clear cut chance. We thought, oh, we should have scored there. Well, Dini had one, didn't he, from outside the box that whizzed past or got a slight deflection. Um, oh yeah, okay, and, in the first half, yeah. yeah. But we weren't creating many chances. To be fair, they weren't. I mean, they got a lot of corners, a lot of set pieces, and I was I was nervous about that. But we mostly handled them quite well. But in the end, what happened was we just switched off. Carnesis sort of half came out, it seemed to me, from mm. where I was standing, and I haven't watched the highlights. He sort of half came, the ball wasn't closed down, it was a headed on ball, and you know, it was a sort of messy goal in the end because it wasn't planned. It was all from a sort of mess and a scramble, but then the ball f- came across and there he was to stick it in. I think that's what it was, exactly that. It, was, it wasn't, let's say, a failure of the defence, you know, really blaming them for, you know, as we have been able to do, let's say, a little bit with set pieces. Um, yes. Literally the ball from there, I think it was the defender was up there, and he sort of just literally cut it back in the one line where the Watford players just weren't, and it just fell straight for Ince. For him yeah. to, to whack it home. It's just one of those little moments in football that it feels worse because it's in the 91st minute. I think you can look at it like that if you want, but it, is, there's, it does seem to be symptomatic of, of the way that we've been performing lately, that we are prone to making errors at very bad moments. And I, I, after the goal, Carnesis was standing on his, in the D and he had his, just had his hands over his face because he knew that he probably should have stayed where he was. He came half out. Yeah. He tried to get back and he was in no man's land. And, you know, good goalkeepers don't do that. They only come when they know they've got a 99% chance of getting the ball or 100% chance. I don't know what he was thinking coming out. But listen, he's 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 played well over the last yeah. few months. I don't really want to hang any individual out to dry. No. Because actually it was really good to see Cathcart and Proddle next to each other. And we looked a lot more stable and strong at the back under the high ball from corners and so on. Um, they both played well, and it was good to see Cathcart back in the team. Mariapa at left back, apparently, because Olabas was injured. But then, so the midfielder, you say how great our midfield is, and that's the interesting thing for me, it is a great midfield. Is it that they're not converting it into attack, or is it that the attack aren't converting what they're given? The problem is that, well, I mean, this is, a, again, I agree with Mike, and I think the man has, has real value for the football club. But the problem at the moment is that Troy Deeney is not the right type of striker to play in front of that midfield. Because what you need is a poacher, really, someone who plays facing the goal. Because you've got uh, Kiko and, uh, and Hughes and Pereira, and behind them Decore and Capu, who are very good at passing the ball and passing it to each other and finding little gaps uh, between the lines and looking to get that ball in behind or through the defence to, to the sort of striker that would make a diagonal run or, or, or run across the front of the defence and then dart back inside for the ball to be played to him. And we don't have that striker. And in fact, I felt uh, the crowd, interestingly, that the majority of the Watford fans were screaming out for Andre Gray to come on because it did look like the sort of game where he might flourish. And also, we haven't seen him for months. No. And, you know, we spent 80 million quid on him. Uh, anyway, he came on and he was much more dynamic than Dini. He was running... Uh, out to the edge of the penalty box. He was running, darting back across it. He was just, he wanted the ball a lot. I mean, he obviously knew this was a big moment for him. He had 15 minutes or whatever it was to, or, or 20 minutes to to make a mark. And he, he was more dynamic. But at the moment, under with Troy, he plays with his back to goal. He wants the ball into him, into his feet, which they give it to him. And then everything slows down because he's either got to come, come deeper to turn uh, and then someone's got to get beyond him and there doesn't seem to be a player in the midfield that wants that really has the appetite to get beyond Troy and take up that role 
And so it all sort of falls to pieces. It's like sort of waves against the cliffs. And what we need is a, is a, is a sort of Jermaine Defoe, if you like, a sort of that's kind of player, a, a tricky player, like or Iosi Perez, who makes little darting runs. And then the midfielder, midfielders, uh, with the talent that they have for passing the ball, uh, can either you get it out wide, and someone like Kika can can drive it in behind the defence that he can the, the striker can get onto, which Troy plainly can't do that. Or you, you knock a little one-two and the ball goes in behind and there's your striker to knock it in the net. We haven't got that striker at the moment. Gray may be the answer to that. But what I do know is that the style of football we're playing in midfield does not suit the two big strikers that we have been playing recently because they don't offer the midfield the chance to to get to make a goal for them. Do you see what I'm saying? I see yeah, exactly, exactly what you mean. And I know exactly where, uh, where you're going with it. And, and I suppose... We, we we always it's that thing when when Gray wasn't playing it felt like he would be the answer. We've seen him play and he we don't know if he's the answer yet. He didn't quite get enough uh, enough of a run. Or at least maybe maybe this point in the season when we are coming towards the end and we're pretty much not definitely you know safe. And we're thinking, okay, what next? And we've been having a chat on our, our WhatsApp group and the upcoming podcast. We'll talk about where we, we think we need to uh, uh, twist or stick with the, with the squad and different members of the squad. Um, it seems to me that what I want to know is that, A, is Javi staying? And B, is this his style? And if it is, then C, what are we going to do in terms of our attacking uh, up front? Now, my gut says, if it is Javi staying, if it is... This is how we're going to try and win games of football. Then we need to get rid of Akaka, get another version of Andre Gray, uh, who hopefully is different in some way. I'm not going to say definitely better. But then we keep Deeney to have that big man option that we might need at certain circumstances. Because if it is the way that Javi wants to play, then we do need another option. So if Gray starts, then who's going to come off the bench? What type of player is going to come off the bench? And at the moment, he's only got one other option. So he's starting with the the, the Dini slash Akaka role. We know he can't start with Akaka because he can't last 90 minutes or even an hour. Then <laughs> then he has to he then brings on Akaka if he thinks that's the thing or he brings on Andre to change things up. But like you say, the way the team is set up, in theory, Gray should be starting because Gray is a type of player that seems to be, or striker, that seems to be suiting it. And like I say, Troy isn't a one one man up front sort of player. It's a good question, John, because uh, one is Javi staying. Well, if we don't win another game this season, I wonder. He, he certainly will reduce his chances of staying. He's talking as if he's staying, um, but you know, if we if we don't beat Palace and we don't beat Newcastle at home, if we don't get another six points, I would say. Um, then I think his position is in danger. Number two, is this his style? It is his style. And uh, I think that's the way he wants us to play. And three, um, yes, that's exactly the change that would have to be made. We'd have to get someone a bit more mobile, another option up front who is who's quick and uh, lively. And if, if, we, if two of our players do depart, as is widely talked about in the press every single day, <laughs> it, uh, if Decore does go to Liverpool or wherever, and if Richarlison does end up at PSG, then there will be money in the bank to spend on the striker. Uh, and uh, also, we will need to have a look at that defence. Um, I think there's we've got too many central defenders who aren't really making much of an impact. Too many of them get injured for some reason. I don't know yeah. what that's about. But it was good to see Cathcart back, and uh, I, I've had my doubts about whether he's really good enough to, to take us to the next level as a, as a defender. But um, I suspect what we need is a, is a, 
a commanding, experienced 28-year-old centre-back and we need a left back because Holobas can't go on forever. No, and also, um, I he, you know, he does have his moments of patchiness. So maybe we need to look at trying to find a left-sided Kiko. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that would be beautiful. The problem with us at the moment is we're a little bit lacking in toughness. That's what I think. Just generally throughout the team, we're a much happier group than we were on, at the end of the Marco era. But we don't have the toughness that we had at the beginning of the Marco era. Now, that may be because we haven't got Cleverly and Chalabar on the side. But there's something slightly weak about us as a group. And it, it feels like we're there, you know, we can be got at. And uh, certainly Huddersfield felt that. And they played like that. And in the end, they got their reward. And I, I, it's hard to say they didn't deserve it. It's interesting you say about um, the signings going out. Because I think if we're going to sign somebody, we need to know who he is. And we need to sign him early. Because if we sell to Corey and then Chalabar for 30, 40 million, everyone knows we've got a lot of money. So we're going to end up playing double almost what, yeah. what, uh, yeah, that's the true. money. So for, for a good business, I'm sure Shaw Scott and uh, Gino and the, and, the, and the team sort of know who they want to get and are probably dealing with it already, hopefully, because then otherwise we, the next player we get in will be more expensive than Andre Gray. And yeah, all of a sudden definitely. the pressure will be on him which is yeah. the thing that people just cannot get past, I think, in some ways. Um, you know, £18 million is a, is a lot of money, but in yeah. football money, it isn't a lot of money. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's a, the Premier League rate that yeah. gets him to that amount of money, especially when he came from Burnley to Watford, which were, you know, rival teams, uh, same level teams. Yeah. Um, and that's why you pay as much as you do. It isn't, I know it is, I know it is 18 million pounds and this is an awful lot of money. Um, but just looking at it in, in the wider context of football, it, it isn't. So, you know, ha having to, to fork out for it um, is important. So, you, so you're putting a, a big emphasis on, on Palace next week or... Yeah, of course. A, 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 like big, massive or... Just need to get a result. <laughs> All three. Um, <laughs> You've got a big no, and massive. Massive bigger than massive. big. I don't. I think it's big. Mm. I, I know we definitely need to get a result. I think Javi must be feeling the pressure. He must know that he's got to pull in some more points for his own future. You know, and uh, and and it's Palace, and you know, it's bloody Palace, and it's it's always so difficult when we play Palace because mostly they beat us, and mostly Zaha has the game of his season. Uh, and they're again, they're fighting for their lives. No different from Huddersfield. If they get three points on Saturday against us, they're safe, pretty much. They won They won yesterday, didn't they? So, you know, they're, they're almost at that point. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a huge game. And it's, 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 it's become a bit of a sort of rivalry game as well, hasn't it? It's sort of unstated. We're not really rivals. We're not, you know, we're not hated foes. But nevertheless, there's always a little bit of extra when we play Palace for, for the, because of the playoff final, because of the semi-final in the FA Cup, because of Zaha's diving, because of Harry the Hornet. You know, there's always, there's always a little bit of, a, of edge. And also, you know, they did us. They did us at Selhurst Park. We should have won that game. And you well, know, our heads went when Cleverly went off. Yeah, and Deeney missed the sitter, and you know there was lots of reasons why it happened, and Fermenia came on, and he was already injured, and then I went off, walked off. So there <laughs> yeah. was also, I mean, it was it was one of Marcus Marco's darkest hours, I thought, in terms of how he game managed. I thought it was really really poor because, as you say, we panicked, and uh, so we, we you know we'll feel like we we owe them, and we want to. It was a bit like yesterday; they beat us four one in our place. We wanted to go there and beat them and say, look, you don't do that to us. What happens? We lose one nil. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm feel nervous. I feel trepidatious about the game on Saturday. I have a feeling that we could easily lose that game, 
Um, and, you know, three weeks ago, I was thinking, well, we've got we've got Bournemouth and Burnley at home. Those are winnable games. Then we've got Huddersfield away and Palace at home. And we're looking at maybe another 10 points. And at the moment, we've got one. And that is depressing. The good news, though, Colin, I know you're not, you're not in a great place, um, but uh, uh, there's a new series of Hornet Heaven started, uh, series six of Hornet Heaven started last week with uh, the official story, which was I thought was, um, we, we recorded it and edited it over the last couple of weeks, but as, as time's gone on, as a storyline, it's, uh, it's become more important. Indeed, because it deals with the sort of um, issues around VAR. Um... I won't. I won't do any sort of uh, spoilers because no. that would be a shame. Because it's such a, it's such a Ollie's constructed such a beautiful story. But yeah, it's basically around uh, the officiating of football and the kind of and uh, whether or not really I can talk about it generally. Whether or not VAR is a good thing or a bad thing. Personally, well, I, think, I think actually is, is if it's. If it's referees are good or bad things, I think really come down into the uh, into the storyline. <laughs> You've got to have referees. You can't not have referees. But <laughs> the idea that if you know that something, that the idea, the premise is, if you get a terrible decision against you, and it's not, you know, for instance, you know, if if it's a penalty but it's not given, and then you, you go back and look at it, and uh, and you can see clearly that it was a penalty, does that make you feel better? If someone from the FA or from the Referees Association says to you, that was a penalty, it was a bad decision, the referee got it wrong. Does it make you feel better? And, uh, and that's, that's partly what, the, uh, what that episode of Hall of Heaven deals with. And, um, and this week, we've, and this draw week, your own conclusions. Uh, and this week we've got um, a very different episode uh, coming out. Um, slightly uh, spooky. As, uh, slightly spooky yeah. and slightly scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which references a quite well-known film. Yes. And, uh, and Ollie young... definitely uh, in the promotion of it is, uh, knows it's, it's The Sixth Sense. But, yeah, um, so it's about a young boy that sees, sees dead people on Occupation Road, which is yeah. really kind of a brilliant idea. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then helps them, helps them sort of through the, through the portal, if you like, into, into Hornet Heaven. It's very, very good. Yeah, uh, and that's out uh, this week. Uh, so make sure you go to wherever you get your podcast from and uh, search Hornet Heaven and subscribe. Um, but uh, as I say, with Ollie uh, has um, put together this this trailer for you. I see dead people all the time. They're everywhere. Hornet Heaven, Series Six, Episode Two. Thank you very much, as always, for listening to From the Rooker End. Uh, we are every single week uh, during the season, uh, and we will. We might be doing some specials over the summer, so do do keep a ear out for those. You can also follow us on uh, social media at Watford Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. So we lost to Huddersfield, but where does that leave us? And uh, more particularly, where does that leave Mike after the game? Mike, the the loss to Huddersfield. Um, was after a loss to Burnley and a draw to, to Bournemouth. Uh, I'm going to assume uh, that even after that result, there's, there's no way you're going to be anywhere near a happy place. 
Oh no, I very much am in a happy place, and that, oh. and that happy, and that happy place, John, is uh, is Lord's Cricket Ground, and I've been spending the last uh, twenty four hours planning my uh, trips to watch cricket and putting football <laughs> to, as far to the back of my mind as humanly possible. So I'm well, I'm great. Football season's done for me. Oh, well, it's not though, Mike. It isn't. It's not over yet. Um, it really feels like that. We still have these games left to go. For me, it sort of feels like we have to get something from them to to move forward, especially if Javi is going to be our manager next year. They, they don't necessarily have to be wins, but one would be nice. Um, but they have to be feel like progression, which is not what we've seen over the last couple of weeks at all. Well, not just the last couple of weeks, John, but the last couple of years. The, and, and in fact, the three years we've been in the Premier League. And you're right, we have got games left. We do really probably need to get something just to be 100% certain of safety in the Premier League. And when you look at those games, we've got Tottenham and Manchester United away. We've got Newcastle at home. I've got family links with uh, with Newcastle, so that's always a big one for me. And we've got Crystal Palace, who we almost certainly owe a result to. And you know, there's a bit of needle, a bit of spice to that game. So on paper, there are four games that should have the the juices flowing. Certainly in the in my household, certainly from my point of view, should you know they're the sort of games that we wanted to get promoted to to be taking part in. But really, I'm finding it very, very, very hard to generate any enthusiasm for any of the games. I'll actually be away for the Newcastle game. And to be perfectly frank, and I know people will will be disappointed in, to hear this, I'm glad I'm missing the Newcastle game. I'm glad I've got an excuse not to be there because I won't be in the country. That's bad. You know, I accept that that's, you know, supporters need... I've always banged the drum about how supporters should support the club through through thick and thin. And I, and I believe that. And, you know, I'll probably go up to Manchester United with Arlo because it'll be a, a good day out for him and us and to go and, and support the support the boys. But really, it's sort of, at this stage, it's more through a, a sense of duty, to be perfectly honest. And the reason being is that you talk about improvement for this season into when end on a high, but it's kind of too late for that because I think season one, season two, season three have all been, to some extent, carbon copies. We've had a couple of ups in all of them, but really, we've always ended them on on a fairly sizable down. To Kike Sanchez Flores, it was it was a downward spiral ever since sort of we, we achieved safety. Matsari, the wheels came off at a similar time as as they have this year, and we're sort of coasting towards the end of the season, not picking up any points, not scoring any goals, and slowly slowly sliding down the division. And there seems to be no ability to to arrest that slide we're not scoring any goals we're not showing up we're not showing up the defense it takes a sort of big leap of faith and quite some imagination to imagine how we're going to get much if anything from these last four games and really I don't think it should be like that I said I said on Twitter yesterday that look I'm happy we're in the Premier League I'm very very happy of the the financial situation we're in we look around Vicarage Road it's looking beautiful we're solid we're set uh, and more than we we have done possibly in the club's history since since it was since it was founded so from that point of view I'm happy I definitely want to stay in the Premier League it looks like we're going to do that so from that point of view I'm happy I don't even want or expect us to play amazing football I know that it was quite well publicised at the At Your Place event at Vicarage Road a couple of weeks ago a couple of people voiced an opinion that the football was boring 
quite frankly, I don't really care. Um, I don't, you know, we're Watford, we're slugging it out in the Premier League um, and it's a difficult place to be. If we're picking up results uh, and staying in the division, I'm, I'm OK with that. But what I do want to see is us learning lessons and that, I say it week in, week out, getting incrementally better because that's what I believe Scott and Gino want for this football club. It's what we want for, for our football club and I'm just not seeing it. By saying all that other stuff about how I'm ha- glad that we're financially secure and the stadium looks great and we've got good facilities, that is by no means saying that we should accept that to the detriment of, the, of what's happening on the field. We absolutely must be demanding more from the squad that's been assembled um, and we're not getting enough for the, for the past three seasons. The first season you can throw away, if you like. That's it. That was we needed to stay in the division and that will always be our, our aim for, for the first four, five, six, seven maybe years. But we need to be getting better, and we just aren't. We seem to be falling into the same trap for the past three... And, you know, it's, a, it's a very selective. Season in, season out is a bit flippant, a bit dismissive and, and a bit unfair. But for the three seasons, it's the same blueprint. And for me, if we're serious about having a playing staff and a, and a playing style and a playing performance that matches what we've managed to achieve off it, then we need to be doing better. Because Scott at, the, at our place said he wants us to be the best of the rest. So aiming for seventh and having a team that can finish seventh uh, to then maybe, if the planets align, that we could jump up and, and go into Europe. But we haven't created um, maybe not a team, maybe not, maybe it's a cultural thing. Um, around the the footballing side that just doesn't seem to have settled and that's such a hard thing to pinpoint because you know Gino and Scott appoint managers or head coaches to look after that side of it not to look after the recruitment not to look after the facilities not to do anything like that but they're there to look after the the team but that for that to be successful ongoing has to have its own culture and that's the thing that seems to me that has never been developed in the Premier League. And that's sort of why I want Javi to stay, because I want to try and see if we can develop uh, a, a culture within Watford, which is not, you know, like, like when, when people talk about Watford, thankfully they're not talking about us in the same way they used to talk about Stoke and West Bromwich. But they don't talk about us in a, in a Watford way. A Watford win games like this, they do this. There's never been any consistency with the way Watford win it's a very difficult problem we've got it just feels like there's so many pieces of the jigsaw missing i don't expect any footballer to love watford the way that we do i don't expect any player to feel the same way that we do about Watford's football club it doesn't work like that and it's impossible we've had it running through our veins for our for for, for a lifetime um, and we live and breathe it and it's impossible for a professional sportsman to feel that way unless you're perhaps a Lloyd Doyley unless perhaps you're an Andy Merriapper but even then it's a job and it pays the bills so we need to make sure that we do distance ourselves from wanting players to have the same passion about the football club that we will I don't think it's, it's not going to happen it's not about that and, and no, no well that that leads me to my next point what I do want them to do and what that and you're right about this culture we need to engender a situation where they believe they can achieve something for Watford and with Watford so that is as close an alignment to as you can get with mm. with with players and supporters I think you'll never get them feeling the same way obviously the shared celebration when you go up it's all great we're a team and all that sort of stuff but they they you know they're they're different they're professionals elite sportsmen we're paying punters who turn up um and and have an opinion for a couple of hours a week that's the, the crux of it but what we need to have is players at Watford and this is where it gets difficult when you get to the Premier League where you need players that are good enough to keep us in the Premier League to keep us moving forward 
but aren't necessarily good enough for Manchester United, Man City, uh, Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal. So you need to find those players who are somehow good enough for the top flight, but that are able to come to Watford, that aren't just about picking up that paycheck, that, that believe they can win something with Watford, achieve something, further their own cause, um, and do that fully. So not like, um, you know, Decore, and whether it's agent, I'm sure it's his agent that's been stirring it, and these, quote, these quotes come from his agent. But you hear, you know, all this, this chatter about Decore, it's a dream to play for this club, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's fine. That's great. I totally accept that. But why not do that in the summer after you've achieved something with with Watford, after you've delivered an eighth place finish or got Watford to a cup final? That's what we need to be getting to. Not as soon as the not as soon as we're out of the cups, we're no way going to get into Europe and are safe. Then all of a sudden the the wheels come off because that really is the only way I can see it. There's, there's talent there. I think um, in the various positions on the pitch, I think we're missing we're missing out in attack undoubtedly. But we've got enough elsewhere to kind of make up for that, I believe. Um, but I just don't think there's that spirit, that desire, or willingness to to deliver as a team. Do you know what? Does that make sense? It, it I think does. that's what we need to build. And I think you're right. If we keep the keep the head coach and keep and the players can like a head coach or loathe him, um, just like we can like or loathe our boss in whatever line of work we're in. But you go in and do your best, and you work with the team that you're given at work. And we need to get these guys doing that. And whether that's sort of reassessing, re-establishing within that what what the goal is at Watford. And it's almost like, well, if you're not going to fight till the end, to the last day of the season, whether we're in 17th, 16th, 15th, 1st or 5th, then you're at the wrong club. Um, the, the, the thing about the managing, changing managers is that it puts their focus too short-term, which in some ways is, is fine because the long-term and the, the bigger parts of Watford aren't their responsibility but they might what I get back to is that 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 if they are so short term they won't develop a long term culture no but i think what the two things what watford have always said is that they want to develop a co- a culture and an internal sort of system an internal club that doesn't matter who that sort of head coach figure is that's they've been very clear and that and that that extends to culture and i think that culture should be you're here to perform to watford from minute 1 to to the minute you walk out of the door and, you know, we spoke to Sean Dyche, didn't we? And we said, you know, is there a, a Watford getting a, a reputation or will players think twice about coming to Watford because of, the, because of the, 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 the policy when it comes to head coach? And he said, well, look, players aren't stupid. They'll know what goes on at Watford in terms of the head coach. So they'll understand that there's a likelihood that within 18 months they might play under two or three head coaches, quite frankly. And... What you know the, the 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 idea is that Watford is set up so that doesn't matter, and a player should have his eyes open enough that where if he comes in, signs a big contract to play in the Premier League for Watford, it's it's not really acceptable for him to say, well, I like the last head coach, and now it's difficult because we've had upheaval. Because a cursory glance at Wikipedia, even if you um, you're a Charleston signing from Brazil, can't speak English, and and, and probably have never heard of Watford until your agent um, shows you the badge, have a quick look on Wikipedia. You can see what the you see what it is. You see what happens. And so you commit to that, um, or you don't. Um, and the hugely frustrating thing is that when this lot, and it's the same last year, the same the year before that, and I'm sure it's the same for, for Premier League teams and football teams, in fact, across the world, when they, have, when they hit that sweet spot, when they're playing together, they're brilliant. 
they play really well. There's some great stuff. You know, Burnley, let's not forget, I think Burnley was one of those games, had it come in the middle of, the, middle of a good run of form, we'd have just shaken our head and said, oh, geez, that was one of them, wasn't it? We, you know, we really deserved to win it. And they, and they nicked it. And, and when you're playing well and, and coming off the back of good results, you're, you're a bit more charitable with those games. But because it's come in such a, the middle of such a bad run, we're, we're a bit more negative about it. It was actually a quite a good performance and probably one of the more um, exciting displays that, that we've seen. And, and Bournemouth wasn't too bad either in, in that respect. So, you know, we're not, we're not miles away, but by the same token, we really are because we're not putting it together anything like consistently enough. So long term, I think we've got issues and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, that culture, that, that internal belief that internal discipline that internal striving to to be the best and you know the fans say it all the time well um a place means a million quid so so gino and scott want us to finish as high as possible obviously but that isn't getting through to the players and you know the other thing is that from a functional point of view someone put up the the stats i think of the 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 away runs uh, the performances away from home we haven't scored away since january Troy, for example, I'm not going to start digging him out, but he hasn't scored since January 2017 away mm. from from Vickery yeah. Road. So there are obviously some some massive problems, and I don't I don't really want to go into that. We've talked sort of ad nauseum throughout the season as to what we think are the the problems on the field, but I do I've got that nagging doubt that this is a bigger issue here for it to happen time and time again. Again, time and time again is 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 wrong. But for the last three seasons. Um, as soon as we're safe, as soon as we're out of the cups, as soon as Europe's not going to happen, the, it is just complete capitulation. Um, rudderless, aiming towards the sort of harbour without the engine running, and we just bump into the harbour. Everyone gets off and goes away for summer, and then clambers back on in in July or whenever it is. Um, and it's that's why at this stage I'm not. I don't want to do that. Why would should we be aiming? Why should we be bobbing around on the sea listlessly? When we've got Manchester United away, Tottenham Hotspur away at Wembley, a chance to, to have a good day out at Wembley for a change, a chance to avenge Crystal Palace, and and then a chance to pick up three points against Newcastle United at home, who we've got who we've got a terrific record against. But John, well, I've I've got let, no let, 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 let's focus on that. Let, no, no, let, no. Let's forget the negative one. Let's go for it. Let's think about right. those four games. We're going to do something in those four games. Achieve something, or hope the players can achieve something. We are going to have to achieve something in July, aren't we? Uh, with our big twenty-six point two mile walk. Uh, for prostate cancer, um, yes. that we've passed uh, two thousand pounds now, but we're aiming at two and a half thousand, aren't we? We are again. I think this is um, where we change tax slightly and, and focus on the good stuff of football. You know, the Watford supporting family and the wider footballing family. And you, know, you know, you do regard at times like this, you do regard your your, your fellow uh, Watford supporters as a bit of extended family. Have really stepped up and shown loads of support. And it's not just through through sponsorship that we've had coming in. Like I say, I think we're over to two thousand one hundred and fifty now. We're aiming for two thousand five hundred as our target. But obviously, anything over than that is we'll keep we'll keep going. Um, but it's just the messages of support as well, just the nice little texts or or private messages on Twitter or tweets. You know, we've been passing them all on to Dad, and it take you know it's you get a lot of nonsense on Twitter, a lot of people asking for money, a lot of people saying about this cause and that cause, but the, just the sheer volume of, of of messages, you know, the majority of which have never never met Dad, it's incredibly um, rewarding and really touching, and that's kind of as I said it last week, and that's what that's what sports about. So I'm in, incredibly grateful to all the podcast listeners, all fellow Watford supporters, and and people who have found out about it uh, that have supported us. But uh, yeah, we've got to do some hard work now. There's me sort of moaning about the. Uh, 
the culture of the players and how much they want it. I'm uh, I'm sat in my jogging bottoms in the lounge with a cup of tea and a caramel bar when I, when I should really be out doing some some hard miles. So yeah, we're doing St Albans to Watford to Barnet to Wembley Stadium, just over 26 miles on the 26th to the 22nd of July. Very much looking forward to it. My brother and sister are doing it along with all the the, the guys from the podcast. So it should be brilliant. But yeah, www.justgiving.com forward slash parking walk. And we're doing it all for prostate cancer. Uh, and earlier this week, I caught up with uh, with Andy from Prostate Cancer just to find out a little bit more uh, about where the fight against prostate cancer is and how you can get involved, maybe not just with, with the walk, but in other ways you can get involved with the fight against prostate cancer. What we know at the moment is far too many men still aren't aware of prostate cancer. At the moment, prostate cancer kills over 11,300 men every single year in the UK which equates to one man dying every 45 minutes. And so what's been brilliant about the recent campaigns of various people coming forward to say they have prostate cancer and Theresa May on Monday announcing that they were going to be set to, uh, to invest 75 million into prostate cancer research, more men have been able to take note and understand because the key thing, as with most cancers, is finding the cancer early. And at the moment, we're facing two issues with prostate cancer. One is that not, not enough men are aware of prostate cancer, and so they're not going to their doctors, not chatting to their GPs. And the second element is the test that we have to diagnose prostate cancer isn't, at the moment, accurate enough for us to be able to run a screening program. And that's why we're raising funds at the moment to try and improve the science behind it so we can get a better test. Uh, are there certain symptoms that people can look out for with prostate cancer? Well, early stage prostate cancer often has no symptoms at all, which is why we try and move people towards the, uh, the increased risk factors. And the increased risks are if you're black or African-Caribbean, if you have a family history of prostate cancer, so if your dad, uncle had prostate cancer or had prostate cancer, that's an increased risk. And also all men over 50 are a higher than average risk for prostate cancer. And so we'd recommend anyone in that category talk to their GP about their risk straight away. So the money that we'll be raising, um, is, it, is it mainly focused on there or, or does, the, does the charity sort of do care um, and aftercare for people as well? We definitely do. We started a charity to pick up where we saw men weren't currently getting good, good treatment from the NHS, and that was back in 97. The reason for that is that when a man is diagnosed with prostate cancer, they face a really tricky set of decisions of which treatments to go for, whether to go for any treatment at all or not. And there was no one at that time to give a decent amount of time and, and patience and, and care to talk to men through all the different options and actually link them up to, um, to other people to be able to help them make that decision. So care is definitely a big part of what we do. But we're also trying to invest a huge amount of research funding just to try and get a better test so we can diagnose prostate cancer at an earlier stage more accurately. And that will save literally thousands of men's lives every year. Well, that, that, that's what we're, we're aiming to do and, and to help um, not only uh, Mike's dad, um, but also other men and, and hopefully not. But, you know, us as in the future, maybe we're doing this event, this 26 miles. What, what have we signed ourselves up for? Well, John, I'm really impressed with what you yourselves up to. So the last two years, Jeff Selling has been organising walks on behalf of Prostate Cancer UK, where he'll walk 26.2 miles in, a, in the course of a day and try and tie that into enough uh, as many trips around to uh, different football clubs across the country. This year, we're organising four events happening on the same day, on the 22nd of July, and we'd love to invite every listener out there who can hear this to come along to, to start from one of our locations. You guys are going to be starting from St Albans. We've also got the, we've got three other locations, one starting in Sutton in South London, one starting at West Ham at the Olympic Park, 
and also a, our final run starting at Millwall, just, uh, just down in, uh, in southeast London. All of those are going to be starting at, uh, at 8 in the morning, 26.2 miles later, finishing in Wembley. And we've got an amazing guest to welcome everyone into Wembley as well. It's a day that you won't forget. I mean, there'll be highs and lows. It, it is a challenge, but it's one that we've seen everyone's managed to get through. And it's a huge, a huge statement of, um, of the support that we've had in the past. We've had so many good people come back. If people want to come along with us on our, our big walk, what, what's the best thing for them to do? Well, you can head to marchformen.org. That's marchformen, all one word, .org. And you can sign up for the, the march there. And then the next step is just training, getting some fundraising in. You guys have done an amazing job with your fundraising already. And so organizing an online sponsorship page and asking your friends and family to sponsor you. Walking 26.2 miles is no mean feat. So hopefully those, those uh, friends and family of yours will be moved to to hands and pockets, but also organising pub quizzes and, uh, and raffles to be able to raise funds. Try and try and get anything you can from your club to be able to raffle off as well. I think the more creative you you can be, the better when it comes to fundraising. So any any talent you have, try and offer that up in return to uh, for a sponsorship. And um, yeah, then get training, get your walking boots on, and uh, and be ready uh, to walk 26.2 miles on 22nd of July. Well, that's the thing. We've, we've got to start getting ourselves ready. I've really got to start getting myself ready. So still, still go well. Well, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. A lot of people might not be able to make that day. A lot of people might not be, maybe they've got injuries and stuff. Um, is there anything that, you know, especially Watford fans in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple of months, to say, where they can uh, help out or, or get involved with prostate cancer? Absolutely. We're talking to the club at the moment who are looking to, to help us out to uh, promote the cause of prostate cancer in the, the coming Palace game in a week of its time. So, uh, so you can definitely donate there. Otherwise, anything you can do to uh, to raise awareness of prostate cancer just by wearing the pin badge alone. So, a pin badge you can buy in either from our, our website, you can buy in personal stores up, up and down the country. Just by wearing a badge, what would Watford fans would be helping out by raising awareness of prostate cancer? You could having a conversation or talking to someone who uh, who may well see the badge for the first time and then use that to talk and have the conversation with their GP, which could save their lives. So. Anything you can do to raise awareness of prostate cancer is really going to help out. And what's the, what's the main website for, for Prostate Cancer UK? The main website we'd ask anyone who's got any questions at all about prostate cancer to go to is our website, which is prostatecancerUK.org. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Thank you very much to Andy from Prostate Cancer. Give us a bit more information. Uh, and thank you for everyone, as Mike said earlier, on, who has donated justgiving.com forward slash parking walk. If you haven't done, uh, whatever you can do uh, and, and donate will be fantastic. Uh, and uh, it all, as you as you just heard, it all goes to a fantastic place. Thank you very much to, to, to Andy, to Mike, uh, and also to Colin uh, for being on this week's podcast. We'll be back again next week uh, when Watford take on Crystal Palace uh, at home. So thanks for listening. Uh, and do tell your friends if you know they're Watford fans and they have an ability to listen to podcasts and, and oh, want to listen to a bunch of what fans witter on uh, every week remember follow us on uh, social media at what for podcast on instagram facebook and twitter or always as always you can drop us uh, a message via our website from the rookerin.com and you can send us an email via there the season's not over yet come on you horns. Oh.